blessing to get to know her. And if you'd like more information about Decatur Christian School, there is a table set up in the foyer, and Stephanie and her husband will be at, be out there after service. Grab your Bibles, please. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. Again, we are on NT 75, 75 days through the New Testament, and each Sunday morning of NT 75, we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture that we have read during the week before. So all of this last week, we've been reading through Matthew. This morning, we're going to tackle the last half of chapter 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, there are some big events in the life of our church I want to keep you aware of. This Wednesday night, we've got an all-church work night. I hope you'll come out and help at 6 p.m. A lot needs to get done, quite honestly, and uh, the lists are being compiled. And whoever you are or whatever skill you have or don't have, we can use you Wednesday, 6 p.m. Next week, Ernie already said it, one service at 9.30. If you come at 11, you're going to be disappointed. So see you at 9.30. We're talking about a 60-minute service, dress casual, uh, be prepared to head to Apple and Pork Festival afterwards. Some of you are saying, I dress casual every week, and that's great, but next week, don't feel the need to break out the suit and tie. And then on September 28th, Families at First Returns, a meal at 5.30, programming at 6.30, and FCC's Got Talent will be kind of the big production that Wednesday night at 6.30 right here in the sanctuary. Many very talented musicians are going to be singing. The choir's going to sing. I think Jim's doing something. We've got some instrumentalists. Ernie and I are doing a duet. It's going to be a really, uh, some of you are listening. Okay, Ernie and I are not doing a duet, but that's going to take place. Um, If you're going through the New Testament in 75 days and you want more than we're offering on Sunday morning during church, I want to let you know about some resources that are available for your growth. Every every Sunday morning at 9.30 in the Fellowship Hall, we are having a New Testament survey class. We're not going to be looking at individual verses of Scripture as much as kind of big picture, broad brush. Today we tackled Matthew and Mark. So every Sunday morning, except for next week because of the one service Sunday in the Fellowship Hall New Testament survey. We also are going to be having lessons beginning October 5th during Families at First. Uh, from the not 75 days through the New Testament. And then the blog is up and running, although I haven't blogged yet for today. We are going to have some guest bloggers that join us. Uh, I dare you to read the blog every day. That's my dare for you. One final thing I want to let you know. Take out your sermon notes. It's a white piece of paper, please. All the way through this journey together, um, each week on one side you're going to have your sermon notes and the fill in the blanks and, you know, it's Uh, configured so you can put it in your FCC notebook, which I think I have a copy of right here. If you don't have one, see Karen Rice. She'll get you hooked up. On the other side, we're going to give you everything that you need to know in one page about the reading that's taken place the previous week. So even if you're not reading through the New Testament in 75 days, if you're saying, I'm too busy, I can't make that happen, this alone hopefully will help you gain some insight to what the rest of us are reading during this time together. How would you define a Christian? How would you define a Christ follower? What's it mean to be a follower of Christ? And I'm not asking a rhetorical question. I I want your answers. What what do you think? What's it mean to be a Christ follower? Mean I go to church every week? Just shout it out. Shout it out. What's it mean to be a Christ follower? 
to recognize Christ in the world around you. Okay, what else? To model your life after His. Good. What's that? To confess. Okay. Christ follower. What's it mean? What's it mean? To be willing to give something up? Okay. Good answers. What's that? To believe that He's the Christ. To say, I believe you're the Christ. That's a, that's a simple question, isn't it? Would you agree that's a pretty simple question? What's it mean to be a Christ follower? And yet, for so many of us, if we really got right down to it, we'd have a hard time sitting down and jotting down six or seven or eight pictures of what it means to be a Christ follower. Or, or verses of Scripture that we could say, you know, that's what a Christ follower looks like. The really cool thing about reading through the Bible is that Jesus uh, and, and the authors of the Bible have already answered these questions for us. And we have a great answer to this question at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' very first sermon, and I'm going to say his most famous sermon, according to Matthew, is a three-chapter sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 7. And I think he's given us three snapshots of what it means to be a Christ follower. And I'm hoping this morning that you won't go home and say, wow, that was a cute message, or that, that message rhymed, or you know, th there's some neat scriptures in there. But as you break down these scriptures, you will say, that's what it means to be a Christ follower. And then you'll ask yourself, am I measuring up? Am I living like I should? Does my life match up with what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. So with that, let's dive in. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to life, and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. First and foremost, being a Christ follower requires travel, on the road to life that is narrow. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate. This summer, my family, our vacation destination was western South Dakota. Has anybody ever been to western South Dakota? That's Mount Rushmore. That's bear country. I can't even remember all the other stuff that we did. But I will tell you, my favorite part of that vacation were the things that didn't cost any money at all. And I think maybe the highlight of the trip for me, one of the highlights, was driving on the Needles Highway. Has anybody ever driven on the Needles Highway? The Needles Highway is way up from an altitude perspective. You're driving in the mountains. And you know like on Route 51, you got like four lanes and they're really wide roads. So like if someone's just learning to drive like my daughter, you got a big old space to drive on. That's not the Needles Highway, okay? The Needles Highway, their road is narrow. And what's bizarre about it is that you'll be driving and you'll see these signs. And the signs will say something along the lines of one car tunnel ahead. So you're thinking to yourself, okay, what's that mean? Does that mean just one car can get through the tunnel and you'll come around the curve? And they're not kidding. They're not exaggerating. It's maybe the smallest tunnel you've ever seen. And you're thinking, I'm driving through there? And so you roll your windows down and you go like five.
hour and your, your wife's elbowing you, saying, you're too close to the rock, you're too close to the mountain, and you make it through and you're like, whew, that was close. That was close. That happened all through this adventure on the Needles Highway. And I got to tell you, when you do that, your heart beats a little bit. The first tunnel we went through, the windows were all down. I honked the horn because I didn't want anyone. Don't ever do that when you're in a mountain in a tightly confined space. Don't honk your horn. That's a bad idea. It's bad on the ears. Jesus says the road to life is a narrow road. It's a narrow path. It's a narrow gate. He said there's a lot of different ways you can live your life. There's a lot of different roads you can travel, but he says, enter through the narrow gate. He said, don't be like everybody else. Your lives should be different. Your lives should be distinctive. Your life should make a declaration simply as you live your life. Nothing frustrates me more than when Christians make a statement and it harms the cause of of Christ. It makes them look ridiculous. It makes them look foolish. They get fired up about something and they use verses like this to back up their foolishness. That's not what entering through the narrow gate is all about. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus is making it abundantly clear There's one way to live your life. There's one road to travel, and it's the narrow road. And that road is different, but that road leads to life. This week in your reading, you came to Matthew 13, if you're reading through it. And the first parable that you came to was the parable of the sower. Many of us know the parable of the sower. But there's a less known parable that I really have have grown to love, and it's called the parable of the weeds. And I'm going to paraphrase the parable for you this morning for time's sake. But in the parable of the weeds owner has a a field of wheat planted and the wheat is growing and the enemy sneaks in at night and begins to sow weeds in secret and before long you've got the wheat and you've got the weeds growing side by side and the hired hands say to the owner we've got to go in and get rid of those weeds we got to go in and uh, we we uh, detassel corn and we walk beans. What would you call someone that did that with wheat? I, I have no idea. But the point is, the, the the hired hands are saying, "Let's go in and get rid of the weeds." And the owner says, "Oh no 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 no, they're going to grow together. They're going to be together. They're going to coexist." And then Jesus says, "At the proper time, you'll go in, and you'll bind up all the weeds, and you'll burn those weeds." And you'll harvest the wheat and you'll enjoy the harvest. But the point is, for a time, the good will be with the bad. The blessed will be with the evil. The godly will be with the ungodly. And the point is this. For many of us, as we go through life, we say, God, why can't you just take all the trouble away? Why can't you make my life great today? Why do I have to deal with that person? Or why do I have to deal with those kinds of people? Why do I have to deal with persecution? Why don't you just wipe them all out? And the parable of the weed says, just wait. It'll happen. Eventually, just wait. While you're waiting, enter through the narrow gate. Travel on the road that is narrow. There's a second picture 
And this is kind of a, a lengthy chunk of scripture I want to read. Verses 15 to 21, Jesus says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you'll recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Staple number one is, Christ follower, being a Christ follower requires travel on the road to life that's narrow. Secondly, being a Christ follower requires an awareness of the truth. I'm really troubled by verses 21 to 23. They, they bother me. Because I think there's a whole bunch of people in our world today that cry out, Lord, Lord. And yet, they don't know the truth. They don't embrace the truth. They don't live the truth. We talked about the, the lukewarm Christianity several weeks ago as we were going through the, the Christian Atheist series. And I was not exaggerating when I said, I think this lukewarm Christianity, this one foot in the church, one foot in the world, it's at epidemic proportions in America today. And so I challenge you this morning to make sure that you know the truth, that you've embraced the truth, and that you're living the truth. Jesus said, watch out for false prophets. And, and you may think false prophets are not a 21st century thing. That must have been a 1st century thing. Or maybe that was some other point in time. There can't be false prophets today, my friends. There's all kinds of false prophets and false faiths in America in Illinois, my guess is you know someone that's embraced a false faith. And I'm, I'm going to get to that in just a moment. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. I'm just reminded that as I'm answering that question, what does it mean to be a Christ follower? I need to be asking, God, what's your will for my life? What do you want me to do? That's a prayer I need to pray. That's a prayer you need to pray. Well, what about false faiths? I think there are many modern-day false faiths that are permeating our culture, permeating our society, and they're a problem. We're going to put four of these up on the screen right now. The first is universalism. Um, I, I think universalism is being uh, espoused and taught and preached um, hook, line, and sinker in many, many places. I, I think there's even some high-profile Christians in America today that are dabbling in universalism. And that's the idea that everyone's going to be saved. God's got to love. So it doesn't matter who you are or what you believe, we're all going to go to heaven eventually. And there's just one slight, small problem with that. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say, enter through the narrow gate or take the wide one if you want. 
Find the gate that's best for you. Find the road that's best for you. Jesus didn't say, I'm a way and a truth and a life. Anyone can come to the Father in a variety of ways. Know the truth. There's a, there's a second false faith that, that I see many people buying, and it's, it's materialism. And you may say, how can materialism be a false faith? Many people, especially in our blessed culture today, we're trying to find hope and truth and salvation in the things of this world. In the house we live in, the car we drive, the clothes we wear. Now, I'm not saying go home and sell your house, get rid of your car, or don't wear clothes. That would be a disaster if we all did that. Don't do that, okay? But what I am saying, listen to the words of Jesus like, he shared, like I shared during the offering meditation today. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What kind of treasure are you building? Where is your heart this morning? What about hedonism? This idea that I have to find pleasure uh, no matter the cost. And there's a lot of different directions that you can go. Some people try to find it in a substance. Some people try to find it in sex. Most of the time an unhealthy way. Outside the confines of marriage. Many times we, we find it in sports. Now don't get me wrong. I love it when Illinois wins a big football game. I think that's great. Okay? But that should not be where you find your ultimate meaning and satisfaction. And what about this fourth word, this big, uh, this big word up here, syncretism? Well, anybody know what syncretism means? What do you think? What's it mean? It's the merging of two faiths, parts of two faiths, into one belief. And that is huge in the world today. Um, some churches are, are, are grasping a hold of this, where they're reaching out to key elements of other faiths and other religions and Here's what I like from Christianity, and here's what I, I like from another belief system. I'm kind of merge them together, and everyone's going to be happy. Everyone's going to be satisfied in the end. Being a Christ follower requires that you know the truth. Now, some of you, I know you're sitting there right now, and you're saying, that's, that's great, you're passionate, you're, you're clapping, all of that. But how's, how's that help me? I'm lost. I, I don't know where to start. I've got a great idea for you. How about you read through the New Testament in 75 days? I think that would be a great place to start. You will be blown away as you read through the Gospels and then into Acts and then into Romans how relevant God's Word is for your life today. The, the, the issues that you face as families and individuals, you'll be stunned the number of times that God's Word hits it right on the head. Well, being a Christ follower requires travel on the road to life that is narrow. Being a Christ follower requires an awareness of the truth. There's a third chunk of scripture I want to get to right now. And this is a parable. We love parables, don't we? Jesus concluded the Sermon on the Mount by reading these words. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall. Because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Number three, being a Christ follower requires a decision to build wisely. Two people in the parable, same thing happened to both of them. 
They both faced the storms of life. The same thing happened to them that they both heard the word. But one put it into practice, one didn't, and the one that didn't had a great crash. The first house I ever lived in as an adult, I guess you would say, was in Moequa, Illinois. It was a parsonage. Um, to use the term house is kind of being kind. Um, they didn't put insulation in the walls. We, we'd be playing cards in February with friends, and we all were wrapped up in shawls and blankets and all kinds of different things. But the, the part of the house I will never forget is that if you looked at the north-south um, foundation on the east side of the house, you'd notice that the foundation went like this. And you'd be in the house and you'd be thinking, man, I kind of feel like I'm on a slant. And you know why you felt that way? Because you were on a slant. I mean, the foundation was literally crumbling. And that's no way to live, my friend. That's not ideal, let me say that. We have with us today some some home builders. And I'm not going to bring them up on stage. I'm not going to interview them, although that would be an interesting interview at some point since I know nothing about building houses. But my guess is the one thing that they would drive home is that if you get the foundation right, you can fix almost anything else. If you, if you do the foundation right, you can take care of the rest. Now, don't get me wrong. Ernie and I aren't going to be roofing any houses anytime soon, so, so don't worry about that. But the point is this, the foundation can make all the difference in the world. And so I ask you today, where are you building your spiritual foundation? Are you building your spiritual house on the rock of Jesus Christ? In James chapter 1, James was the brother of Jesus. And after Jesus died and rose again, James came into leadership with the church at Jerusalem. And James wrote an epistle, and I love it because it's an in-your-face epistle. It's a very aggressive, confrontational epistle. But in James 1.22, this scripture that's on the screen, he says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And back to Matthew 7, Jesus said, Anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice... Anyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. Our, our call, my friends, is not just to read through the New Testament in 75 days, not just to read through the Bible in 90 days, but to live the Word, to build wisely. Bottom line is this. Jesus Christ makes all the difference in the world. If you don't believe that or you're not sure about that i'd love to study further with you about that that's the most important statement you've heard this morning jesus christ makes all the difference in the world do you know him let's pray god thanks for today and thanks for how you bless our lives and thank you so much for the difference that your son jesus makes we love you we thank you for the opportunity to have your written word and to study your word, and to know your word, and to live your word. Bless us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. What a, what a great co conclusion. Do you know, do you really know him? And so that's our, that's our challenge for everyone here today, is that, is that maybe you felt like you've known Jesus, but maybe you've fallen away from him, and maybe you, you need to make a decision right there where you're sitting that, I'm coming back. I'm coming home. 
Maybe this morning you need to make a public decision and say, I, I don't know Jesus, but I want to know him. Now's the time as we stand together and sing. And all that is within, lay it all down for the sake of you, my King. I'm giving you my dreams, laying down my rights, giving up my pride for the promise of new life. And I surrender all to you, all to you. And I surrender of your name. 